Dr. Gould is a licensed psychologist, a program developer, a podcast host of Bloom the Goddess Radio, a writer, social innovator, and CEO of Lucid Learning Systems. Today's presentation, Mature, mature Resilience, Savoring the Fruits of Life's Experience, will certainly resonate with our journey through life. Without further ado, please help me give Dr. Gould a warm newcomer's welcome. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And the funny thing is, I came up with that name, Mature Resiliency, because it just felt right. And then I kind of changed the subtitle a million times because I'm very compulsive about presenting. So the subtitle that I landed on was Reflecting on the Fruits of Your Past Experience, Harvesting, Savoring, and Utilizing What We've Learned in the Service of Now. Right, but of course that's too long to put anywhere. So I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me for a second time to address all of you. And uh, I'm really, um, I got activated by the request. And so I've got a huge situation that I boiled down into maybe a 20 minute conversation. So I want to say that my own situation at this time is filled with attending to many clients throughout the country. So they're my research subjects. And I'm holding a real variety of stories and experiences in my head and in my heart. Um, the moods and feelings of this time are so tidal. You know, they come and go, folks of all ages. And it's ranged from, initially, from panic to fear and anxiety, through grief. The grief of losing life as we know it was very big for a couple of weeks in our age group and then despair, and then ultimately to accepting the situation, which is good mental health, because if you can't change something at points, you must accept it. And then rising upward from there to finding the juice for ourselves as best we can in terms of self-development, experimentation, innovation in our own lives, finding new opportunities to help others, participate in community, meeting neighbors we've never met, and growing. And this is a fortunate, obviously, side benefit. I have a little quote from a man who I just admire. Some of you may recognize his name. Oprah is really big on him years ago. His name is Mark Nepo, N-E-P-O, and he's a poet. And he said, for while we journey alone, we are not the only ones on the journey. And while each journey is unique, we all journey over common ground. And it kind of couldn't be truer in this day and age. And in thinking about what we're facing at this point in our history, I have to say I am very grateful to be the age that I am, uh, similar to the age that you all are. Um, my goal is to stay level with my emotions uh, active, of course, with my energy and connected to my people, my friends, my family, my clients, my work in general, and most important to me personally, my own creativity. 
I know that the formula for well-being is made of self-development, satisfying connections, and all of that together contributes to our sense of meaning, relevance, and belonging. Part of the big formula in my book for mental health. Most of us, I'm sure, are also grateful for having earned a good amount of patience and personal power gathered after five, six, seven, eight, nine decades of a life where we've seen a lot. In our lives, we've grown up with the ability not only to know what's going on in our own local lives, but in the lives of the greater world, people in the greater world. And we can't simply witness all of that. We never could without being shaped by it and actually transformed by it. And today the transformation is continuous, it's exponential, and it's contagious, given all that's occurring around us. There's so much that's provocative, and so I find myself keeping my reactivity in check, listening deeply, as always, suspending my judgment, and evolving my opinions by living patiently through them and limiting the tendency to jump to conclusions, making choices but not shutting down, choices about how much news, etc., and rather staying present to what is. It's helpful for me to be a social scientist, and I'm assuming there's more of us in the room. I'm trained to observe and collect the data. Human behavior is fascinating to me. I was a people watcher from moment one. As soon as my parents left me in the car, we didn't have car seats in those days. We could leave our children in the car with impunity. I would watch everybody and wonder, I wonder what it feels like to be that person. I don't know. That's, that's what I remember from being really young. And so my compassion level is high, my empathy is high, and all of it based on my observations, is predictably human. And the human predicament here is fierce. So how does maturity shape us, us lucky, mature people, to be equipped to handle life as it presents itself with equanimity, which is peace. You know, it's what you see. There's even a commercial for it now. You know, somebody sitting in a yoga position with all kinds of psychedelic colors around them. I don't know if any of you have caught that. It's on the local news. Equanimity, being at peace with ourselves. Here's a quote from somebody who most people have never heard of. He was a French philosopher. He was amazing. His name is Henri Bergson. And he said this very simply, to exist is to change, to change is to mature, and to mature is to go on creating endlessly. I like that. And certainly we've got more time than we have in the past, perhaps, to do that. Um, I did an informal survey of the people that I was speaking to in our age group over months. It's certainly at the, what seemed like the beginning to me. And most everyone agreed that the turbulence and the distress of the overlapping crises were unprecedented and frightening. Of course, we all know that. And then I asked everybody to just give me a couple of inner resources that they were in touch with during this time. So here's a small sample. 
some of them are funny. I have probably a hundred, but you know, I, I'm going to spare you. And some of them are really sweet. Like one of them was um, being very careful about not getting into any accidents in the home or driving because not wanting to wind up in the hospital. You know, with a sprained ankle or, you know, a bloody toe or, you know, you knocked your head on a cabinet. So that was one. Reducing my spending, being philosophical. I'm just going to give you a couple. Um, being discerning. I love that one. Um, I love words and concepts you, you know, get to see. <laughs> um, sharing the burden. Meeting neighbors I never met. Having faith. Um, and surrendering, kind of spiritual, um, while initially intimidated, happy to have access to technology, thankful for smart grandchildren, glad I'm not a teenager, and here's another one, if I die now, I've had a good life, and hundreds of others. And some of these hopefully will become personally transformative when life eventually takes on its new form, its transformed form. And all of these, and many more, are cumulative and dynamic definitions of altogether of maturity and are glowing elements in what it takes to be resilient. And one of the things that was striking to me, somebody had mentioned, I don't know if it was Cheryl or Marcy who mentioned that resiliency was a topic and that's when I thought maturity and resiliency are like that. Because we've lived, right? Um, one of the things that helps with all this conflict and chaos for me is some shared belief that this massive experience is a learning experience on all levels. And I don't know whether you've caught in the introduction that my business is called Lucid Learning Systems. But I found that to be a glorious um, graduate program that I was in, in behavioral psychology, and it was all based in learning theory. I dragged that along with me, I will, to my dying day. And um, the other is that um, learning can really mitigate the, you know, the unhappiness and the despair and the stress because none of our crises are going away anytime soon. Not the virus, not the protests, not the reforms, not the fires. The virus, the fires, everything is contagious. And like I said, you know, it's contagious and continuous for right now. So it's a time for a deep patience for sure. And another hallmark of maturity is patience. We're more capable of being patient, knowing that life keeps unfolding and changing, and we see it every day. I, when I check my news feed in the morning, I'm like, I, I wonder what happened next. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a habit that I had every day, but now it is. And um, do you remember the old parable? Um, I, I don't know if it's biblical. I, I understood it when I was learning about Zen Buddhism, about the good news, the bad news, the good news, the bad news. That's kind of like my experience right now. It was a fable, and you could look it up. If you just look up the good news and the bad news, it's this whole complex fable about a farmer whose son was going off to war, and then 
the kid broke his leg and then he didn't have to go to war, but then something else happened and everything changed. Everybody has described this, especially at the beginning um, of our crisis, mostly in February and March, as a continuous uh, roller coaster. So being patient, by the way, some people might, you know, if I was there in person, I'd say to you, how many would describe yourselves as patient? How many of you would describe yourselves as inherently impatient? I want to just tell you that I believe personality is modifiable and patience can certainly be learned, as can impatience. It's a habit. So I always ask myself, what am I learning here? And if I have a really difficult feeling, I have to stop and say, okay, what is there to learn here? And if I'm submerged in my bad feeling, in my negative feeling, one of my colleagues or friends, and a lot of my colleagues or friends or colleagues and vice versa, will ask the question of me. So I never forget <laughs> that that's always a way for us to deal with whatever it is hardship, etc. It's been very helpful to me and, and people I know. Picture a triangle. It's very simple. Um, I keep calling it a triangle. Picture, I go like this. Picture a rectangle. And inside the rectangle is a circle. In the outside, beyond the circle, is the question, what can't I control? What is not within my ability to control? And in the inside of the circle is what can I control? And in a, in a jiffy, we can bring our stress level down. Because just like the AA um, a quote, which is, you know, just grant me the ability to accept what I can't control. Okay, and that's because really tough feelings very often boil down to not being able to control, whether it's another person's behavior, or whether it's what's going on around us, or a situation, a person, like I said, um, that's kind of a basic reason for stress and annoyance and anger and fury and all of that. So for me, yeah, I might be annoyed or sad or angry or disappointed, but I have a pact with myself, and that is that I will not let that kind of feeling dominate my day. I just won't let it. And this is known in my business as emotional regulation. And it's learnable also. And uh, us learning psychologists, we, we use it every day. And um, at the same time, I have to say, I take what I teach and what I work with very, very seriously. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. So even if I'm having a really hard time, I do everything I can to use my own sense of emotional regulation, the teachable skill. And uh, it's emotional labor, but the whole thing about maturing is emotionally laborious in the long run. And I think it's a worthy uh, psychological art. I truly do. On the other hand, the despair or the anger, if it doesn't go away, sometimes you have to do something. You have to take an action. And I don't know about you, I think I do, that most days we're not out on the street doing that. So one of my favorite things, if I'm really desperate, is to sign up for a new course, something to learn. 
given my schedule, however, I have them all stacked up and I haven't actually completed too many of them, but it's very comforting to know that they're there if I'm really in trouble. Um, there are smaller and more significant actions, of course, and one of them, I believe, is really writing. Those of you who know me know I'm a big journal keeper and have been since my beginning. And uh, since I read the diary of Anne Frank, actually, when I was nine or 10 years old, I started keeping a diary. And then in my 20s, I got really serious about it. And then when computers came along in the 1980s, I, I kind of abandoned my writing journals. Even though we learn in psychology school that writing is really neurologically preferable to typing. But I figured I'm, I'm OK right now, so <laughs> I can type out the whole thing. So it's, it's a bottom line, it's about expressing your feelings rather than keeping them inside. And sometimes I ask people to write a letter to the editor, the editor, whoever that editor might be. Um, I'm not suggesting posting on social media because that can produce a whole range of responses and then you're down the rabbit hole, maybe even getting angrier than you were at the outset. So, Try not to do that. Um, and writing, journaling fits very well into our sheltering in place life. And some of the people who I see have decided to commit to doing that and to writing out the legacy of the now for future generations. For the pursuit, uh, just don't leave it in your computer. <laughs> Make sure you print it out or else nobody's going to be able to find it because they're not going to know your password. On that topic, making and meeting commitments is a really important way of managing our days. Um, they keep us in motion, forward motion, and the forward motion in general does inoculate us against depression and malaise. And I'm sure we all know that. We've all experienced that. That's why some people stay busy all the time, because they don't want to have anything to do with depression. Depression is such an uncomfortable state of being. I'm vigilant as a therapist to make sure that people who can don't necessarily tumble into that. And this is a very interesting thing, and this is an aside as a therapist, that there were many people that I knew that suffered from comparison depression. In other words, they didn't think their lives were as good or as interesting or as useful as other people. But somehow during this pandemic, because of the entire social, sh social slowdown, they feel that this time has given them time to really reflect on this, deal with it, and indulge in some self-improvement. Good, good idea. My first commitment is to keep myself strong. And on days that I can get up uh, and out by 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning, I walk for about 45 minutes or an hour if I can. But mostly when it starts to get really hot, I'll substitute that for doing laps, strong laps in the pool. I feel like it sets me up much better for the day. And just immediately, the effects of, of that kind of workout are immediate. A stress level goes down. Some of you who measure blood pressure, ultimately your blood pressure goes down. Your blood sugar goes down. It's good for you in all respects. And of course, 
there's lots of physical activities we can do and lots of artistic activities we can do. And I'm sure if we surveyed everybody in this audience, we would see all kinds of things. Knitting has made a comeback. Crocheting has made a comeback. Cooking has made a comeback. Um, we're not shopping. Um, gardening, making music, etc. And uh, we're lucky here because being in nature, aside from the what got burned in the fire, which hurts my heart, um, we've got nature relatively close. My other big thing besides journaling is mindfulness meditation. And I think last time I spoke, I asked how many in the audience did mindfulness meditation, and there were many hands raised. And one of the most wonderful innovations to me <laughs> in our time is this lovely young woman, Tamara Levitt, who invented and now it's advertised on television, the app calm.com. And in 10 minutes a day, you can really learn this skill, if you haven't learned it before. And many of us have found a silver lining in this time. And uh, uncovering past pleasures, others have discovered new ones. But I wanted to share um, a quote from Albert Einstein. Uh, he was kind enough to respond to my question about how he was doing in this time. And so he wrote me back and he said, quote, I live in that solitude which is painful in youth, but delicious in the years of maturity. Sincerely, Albert Einstein. Of course, only, only kidding. But there's a real secret sauce in all of this, which is the number one gold standard for resiliency. And can guess what it is? I think many of you can guess what it is, but it's having in place a reciprocal support system to both contribute to and receive from. And certainly seems to me, as so far being an outsider, that your group here, the Newcomers Club, actually affords that not only in its larger sense, but in the small sense of the meetups that you create. Um, but then we all also have friends, maybe, who are not in newcomers. And we want to set up a, a support system which allows for compassion, certainly from the people who know us well, or if you're brave and open to be really inclusive with people who have a very different opinion about a lot of things, but who you love and respect, and who love and respect you as well. For me, I have a few friends who I know historically have often held very different viewpoints than mine, and I enjoy having them, because there are times where different points of view have um, been inordinately helpful. They've saved me from myself. I trust them to shine their light on my blind spots. And if we can hold differences and love at the same time, we can tolerate a whole lot more. And we can recognize how our own thoughts and beliefs can sometimes sabotage us. So highly recommending having all kinds of differences in your life, including age differences for sure. I'm thinking about one of my favorite young people, Sherry Morris's daughter, who I was 
fortunate enough to have as an intern a couple of years ago. I just love having young people in my life. They do have a very different perspective. And I sometimes think, what are the little ones going to say about this time when they're talking to their children 20 years from now? And I wonder if they'll remember this time as, this was a great time. Mom was home all the time. Mom and Dad were home all the time. I got to play with my pets, you know. Um, Think about that perspective for a moment. From a child's point of view, this is great. So it's basically the reciprocity thing that a support system provides. It's, like I said, the single most um, potent uh, facilitator of resiliency. And um, whatever it is that's going on with you, certainly expressing it to someone you trust, friend, um, more than one friend getting a, you know, kind of more dimensional perspective. It's a salve. It's a salve for our hearts. But one of the things that's really important is to be sure that you can appreciate and know what you contribute to the group. Because it's not just who you're going to call when you're in trouble, of course, but why do you think somebody is going to call you? Reflect on that a moment. What are your friends, your, your support system people, what do they appreciate about you? Um, and of course the circles of support for all of us need to be renewed as friendship needs to be renewed. And there'll always be welcome additions and, and perhaps sad uh, deletions. I'm writing a book with another partner of mine on friendship. And so many people who I see have asked me um, how do you make friends from scratch when you're 70, when you're, when you're 75? And so we're writing on that, and so stay tuned. But I just wanted to ask everybody, um, can you think of a new friend who you've recently accepted into your inner circle? Or maybe we've discovered, like I said before, neighbors that are living on the same street that we've never spoken to before. But of course, crisis, chaos, has a way of doing that for us. Um, so regular, uh, regular contact with friends is um, a basic underpinning of mental health. I think most of us know that. We're interdependent social beings. You know, just to have the opportunity to be heard, to have our feelings and, and thoughts validated. Here's one of the things. It helps create, in your brain, rhythms and heart rhythms, something called coherence. And that's the regularity of rhythms. It's almost similar to the kinds of rhythms that your brain creates when you're meditating, or when you're bike riding, or if you bike ride. Or when you're walking, in, in I say, in the woods, we don't have too many woods around, and we're not likely to be climbing up Mount Lemmon anytime soon. We'll find other ways. But these are the kinds of mature relationships that keep us steady. It never ceases to amaze me about the role of distraction, of course. And we've all, we've all experienced it in this time. In the pantheon, of coping skills, it is definitely, um, it's right up there. I try to use it only in small doses, but you know what works for you. And if you run out of ideas about what works for you, you have your smaller and larger support system to keep a steady supply of things that you can get immersed in. And even featuring some role models 
some education, even in the context of all that entertainment. Okay, back to maturity. Um, again, I would ask you, if any of you remember um, Abraham from Psychology 1, maybe, maybe 101, um, Maslow's Pyramid of uh, Self-Actualization. And um, I'm not going to swish around and see who might nod their head, but if you do or if you don't, you might need a refresher. This is where the triangle is. And the bottom of the triangle is the foundations of what you would think. It's, it's health and, and safety. And then the next in the midsection is your social, psychological well-being. And in that, of course, is friendship and belonging. Um, a little bit higher than that on the pyramid, I don't know if it's really higher than that in real life, is sources of esteem, your achievements, your accomplishments. And then, of course, at the apex, the top of the heap, is self-actualization, which is really, you know, um, gaining, um, gaining your full potential. And it's important that we do that. Because people who don't do that, they, they actually die with regrets and unhappiness. And given that we know that in advance, why not make self-actualization? And for each one of us, that's a different thing. But to think about it, and of course I would say write it in your journal, um, but that gives us an internal goal to work for. And it's worth it because it shapes our choices about how we choose, when we have choices, to conduct our life. And I wanted to say that, okay, um, you, you know, you don't get there, right? But you're always on the path to being there. So by the time we get to be 60 or 70, or 50, if we're really bright, like my young assistant here, I'll be 50 next year. Um, we've seen and felt the spectrum of everything, our own experience, the experience of our family and friends. We've learned vicariously from books and, mu and movies, and guess what? All of it strengthens us, all of that learning. And in the end, it gets all mushed together anyway. You don't remember where you got it, but you got it. So being mature is the net result of all we've been through as long as we've lived, as long as we're conscious during the undergoing. A lot of times we're on automatic pilot, and we might not have time to realize how we're growing. Um, but it does form the fabric of our resiliency, which winds up being a lifelong personal security blanket. So. Um, being able to achieve our own well-being is partially, apart from circumstances, holding that mindset, saying, I want to, I want to increase my maturity if we have our episodes of not liking ourselves so much because of our behavior or our emotions, um, and at the same time, holding self-actualization and maturity as a, um, as a vision for ourselves. What does it actually look like? What does it entail? And if by any chance we feel exhausted by imagining all that, I have one of my favorite phrases, which is, no worries, life has more imagination than we do. 
And as an age group of mature women, we are just by virtue of our ripening, we're more mature and probably more resilient. As mental health professional and as Andrea Gould, my goals are to be open to learning for as long as I live, having earned the ability to reflect on, revise, and reimagine my growth as I age. Going forward beyond today, when you have time to contemplate, please give yourself the time to harvest and savor and use these gems in your life because becoming is a beautiful thing. Thank you for listening. <laughs>